Hi, everyone. Dr. B here again. Thank you for coming back and listening to this episode of Ask the Dentist. Sorry, my throat is a little scratchy. Just got over a cold. As many of you maybe know, I went to Costa Rica with my wife and we joined James Nestor at his breath retreat. I'm going to do a podcast dedicated to that one week. It was very eye-opening for me as a traditionally professionally trained doctor, dentist. And I say that lovingly because our curriculum, our background is very narrow. And I think the breathing retreat, really the breath retreat, breath work, really brought that to light. So just from my perspective, I wanted to talk about it. That will be coming up soon. It was a blast, learned a lot. And the reason I went is because I really wanted to you know, understand better all the hype about breathing and breath work. We've been talking about it for thousands of years. In fact, James Nestor in one of his, well, in all of his lectures worked us backwards, worked the hundred people that were there, worked us from current knowledge back to over 5,000 years ago knowledge. And that was interesting because it illustrated how we've kind of gone backwards and how in many ways, because of different systems in place in teaching professionals in you know big corporate influences how breathing has been pushed aside and and in fact that could be the reason for many maladies chronic diseases in today's world so anyway found it fascinating of course i would recommend reading the book kudos to james the book is amazing it still has legs it's a bestseller everyone of course wants to know what he's going to write about again I have some ideas on that, but uh, I've interviewed him twice. You can go to our YouTube channel and also the podcast, your podcast engine provider, and you can search, I think, and just type in James Nestor or Breathing or Breath, and you'll find the two episodes. In any case, enlightening to me as a provider, and of course, I want to get the message across to as many of you as possible. And again, many, many, many thanks. We haven't really celebrated yet or talked about it yet. Formally, but uh, while I was in Costa Rica, we passed the 200K mark on Instagram for followers. And I just wanted to say here quickly, I'll talk more about it. I am deeply grateful for the support, for your listening and following, you know, our message on oral health. I'm very passionate about it. And again, I take it very seriously. So again, I wanted to thank you for that. Today, we're going to talk about water flossers. Uh, as I was going through the list, of questions today that I get. And again, thanks for sending them to me. I'm sorry I can't get to all of them. But there were three on the first top page on water flossing. So I took the shortest in length, the shortest question, and I'll post that. It's from Robert. And basically, it's going to answer the other two as well, the other two questions. It's my opinion on water flossing. So let's get right into that. I think you'll find it interesting. My opinion of them has changed over the years, and I'll explain that in the next few minutes, but let's let Robert ask his question first. This is Robert Ferrey in San Antonio, Texas. I find nothing on your website about water picks, which I tend to use instead of flossing, and I'm wondering what your opinion is about the benefits and uses of water picks. Thank you. Robert, thank you very much for that question, and for all of you that asked the same question. Great question in the sense that I may not have talked about water flossers as much as I should have. And so this brings me to giving you more information about it. The reason I say that is because early in my career, I just never thought 
water flossers were a good thing. I was more fearful of what you could do with them. The caveats to me, in my head at least, were worse than the potential. And to me, it was just a potential at that point in time, based on what I had read and what I was taught in dental school. I was more worried about what damage could be done with a water flosser. I have reversed that thinking again over the years and after having read a lot of studies. So again, Robert, thanks for asking that question. I'm still kind of in this rut where it's not really a go-to in my mind. So they are called oral irrigators. I and many dentists and consumers alike will use the word water pick. It has become a generic term. It is actually the company that first made the official good oral irrigator. The early origins were in, I think in the 50s. It was patented and it was actually a tube that you would hook up via an adapter to the tip of your faucet head. And you would regulate the pressure by how much water you allowed to run through your faucet. And that potentially was too much pressure. I'll talk more about that. But anyway, that was originally a way to replace the monojet syringe. Most dentists will have a monojet syringe. It's a very bulky syringe with a curved tip on it. You can cut the tip and modify the lumen size to vary the amount of pressure or the amount of volume of liquid that comes out. I used to hand that out to patients. I used to use it to apply dry socket paste. After a dry socket, after wisdom tooth surgery, I would give it out to patients after surgery, even gum surgery, difficult areas to clean in the mouth where you could just squirt some water in there, maybe some salt water, even a kind of a special mouthwash to disinfect the area. And that's how we got to the water pick, oral irrigators. Someone, I think it was in 1962, a dentist and engineer, love that combo, by the way, a lot of good stuff comes from that. And dentists are essentially engineers. But anyway, he had an engineering degree, invented the water pick. And it was different in the sense that it had its own reservoir. So it didn't rely on the pressure adjustment that you made at the faucet, it had a motor and a pump. I think it was important to make sure that there were no wires going to your hand because you plugged this unit in near a sink. And I think that was before we had GFI outlets. And also, and here's the big improvement, it pulsed rhythmically. There was a pulsing of the water. It wasn't constant. And I think that was a very good invention. And you know what? To be honest with you, I did not know that when I was kind of down on water picks early in my career. This would be in the late 80s, early 90s. And the water pick is still sold today. Now, there are a lot of knockoffs. By the way, we have on our store, we have some recommendations. I do recommend the water pick. And then we also have some less expensive recommendations. And I have used them. I have checked them out. They do pulse. They have the right amount of pressure. Uh, there's some criteria that I'll give to you at the end of this episode on what to look for. But okay, so now on to the studies. Curiously, and I run into this all the time, the first study that popped up was one of the leads on the st study was the director of professional and clinical affairs at Waterpick. So anyway, I read the study just as a baseline. I think it was very measured. It was a well-done study. And it found that water picking was as good as flossing and brushing. Then I read 25 plus maybe 30 other studies. And the good news is that consistently, and then actually over time, the early studies were a little skeptical, but at least found that proper use of a water pick compared to proper use of flossing and brushing, that they were comparable. But over time, and I'm talking about 20 years, two decades, the results have been getting better, sometimes quite a bit better on favoring water picking. So I found that interesting. And, you know, the questions I always ask as a water flosser remove plaque or biofilm? It does. Does a water flosser push bacteria into the pocket? 
that was a big concern for me. I mean, this is high pressure we're dealing with. And the answer is the opposite, actually. It pushes out more bacteria than it pushes in. Is a water flosser as effective as string flossing? We've talked a little bit about that. The answer is yes, and sometimes much better. So before I give you my conclusion or summary of what I think of water flosser, let's talk about how it should work or how it does work today. But essentially, this is how it should work. What to look for. Specifically, it's a combination of pulsation and pressure. And those are the things that worried me, not the pulsation, that, that's a great feature because it's not constant pressure, but the pressure, if you push that water and you angle that tip, that narrow tip where the water comes out, I was afraid, and I was convinced that I did see this early on, that you could blow out the gums. There's a little pocket in there, and if you put too much volume of water in there too suddenly, backed up by some pressure, you could literally tear the attachment of the gum to the base of the tooth. That's called the periodontal attachment or ligaments. And initially when I thought that, maybe I thought I saw it. The good news is that 30 years later, maybe I saw it once or twice and it's really technique based. And these devices are designed in such a way that it's very easy to prevent that from happening. You really have to go out of your way with hand motions and holding it and, you know, gymnastic maneuvers to produce that angle that would produce that harm. So how many pulsations? 1,200 to 1,400 pulsations per minute is key to effectiveness. And that's not just for safety, which is what I just talked about. It's also for effectiveness. This produces this pulsing. Think of a little bolus or a little ball of water percussing the area that you're cleaning. This produces a compression and decompression phase. And that's mechanical in nature, almost like a toothbrush. You are literally, I mean, I'll do that in dentistry with an air water syringe. We do that on sidewalks with pressure washers. There's a stubborn stain. You know, you'll move in and out quickly or you'll do a sweeping motion and angle it differently. That is a known thing that is called, I think it's called hydrokinetic activity or phenomena. And it essentially, these pulsations create an impact and flushing zone. And that's why the bacteria get flushed out, not pushed in, because it allows for debris and bacteria to be expelled from a niche or a porosity in, you know, your concrete driveway or in a pocket or area, a micro niche in your mouth. And this pulsing is in studies is reported to be three times more effective than a continuous stream device. And it's safer. So Got to look for that. Again, all the devices that I recommend have this feature. And so, yeah, likewise, for me, the pressure setting is important. The original oral irrigator connected to the faucet, I think that would have made a great squirt gun or fire hose, indoor fire hose, but certainly that would have been dangerous. So medium to high pressure setting, what I've seen in the studies, you got to look for 50 to 90 pounds per square inch or PSI. That was shown to be safe and also more effective than lower settings. So they've dialed in over the years. And maybe this is why the studies have shown more improvement over decades or in comparison to flossing and brushing. I think the devices have gotten better. Again, they have found the sweet spot between number of pulses and the pressure setting. Not too much, not too little. This is all great stuff. So let me just review quickly my current recommendations for using a water pick. And, and again, I would recommend this to anyone. If you can't floss, don't like to floss, then certainly a water pick is a good thing, an oral irrigator. But specifically, anyone that has braces, if your kid has braces, invest in however many of these you need and teach your kid how to use it. Maybe have the registered dental hygienist 
your hygienist give you a demo on how to use this properly. This is going to be way more effective than brushing and flossing. Your kid will never floss with braces. It's just too cumbersome and too difficult. No matter what an orthodontist says, I don't care. A water pick should be the go-to recommendations for anyone that has brackets and wires on their teeth. You know, I'm concerned about microplastics with nylon and the petrochemicals that are in floss. These pieces do break off as you floss. I use a silk floss, but it's not for everyone. If you have tight contacts, the silk will break. It's not as slick. It's not as slippery. A lot of floss will have PUFAs on it and Teflon and terrible ingredients that we ingest and can be endocrine disruptors and cause cancer. And I mean, you know where I'm going with this. So this is a great reason to use a water flosser, an oral irrigator. If you can't use silk floss, my recommendation for silk floss is on our website. It's made by Radius, but it's not for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone. If you have tight contacts technique, if you don't think you can ever master the technique of flossing, which I would not blame you. There's no shame here. It took me a while. This was during dental school. I was never taught to floss before then. I was impressed how difficult flossing was for myself. And I'm a dentist. I pride myself on, you know, A, I was able to visualize it, but also the manual dexterity that's required to floss. And it is not easy. Of course, if you do it long enough, you can do it in your sleep. Muscle memory is there, but it's not for everyone. It's not for the elderly. It's not for kids. It just is too difficult to do. It's like tying your shoe. At some point, you can do it. What else? What are my other points I want to make? And efficacy. So certainly if the efficacy is there, then this is something that we should all be looking at. Caveats for me were the pressure. Talked a little bit about that. Let me talk more about that. So if you angle the tip, the tip should be angled so that the water spray hits the side of the tooth and the gums at 90 degrees. You can vary that a little bit up to 40, maybe 45 degrees, but I wouldn't go too far beyond that because the minute you start angling it down in to the gum pocket, the fold, you can literally balloon things out and tear periodontal ligaments. And that's very painful. Typically it will heal, but not in all cases. The next caveat would apply to this pressure issue. So if you have gum disease that's untreated, your tissue is very necrotic. In severe cases, when a dentist goes in there with an air water syringe, we blow air at the gums, they have necrosed and they have lost their elasticity and they don't conform up well tightly up against the teeth, which is what their job is to do that. And they flap the gums flap. And so if you apply high pressure water, pulsating water, the gums will flap and you could make it worse. So if you're thinking of reversing gum disease and you haven't seen a dentist and first get a consult with a periodontist and make sure that that's not you, you could actually make things worse very quickly within one or two uses of a water pick. And then Again, the other caveat is technique. I've talked about that. Technique is the big issue here. So yes, I do recommend the oral water irrigator, water pick. They have a water jet. Uh, they have portable versions now. I haven't made any recommendations for the portable versions. I'm not sure they're strong enough given that they are battery powered. Water picks are expensive. They don't last for more than a few years. They cost about as much as an electric toothbrush. I don't think it's necessary to have both, but I would use a manual toothbrush, have some floss, on board or a floss stick, which makes flossing easier for travel, and then have the oral irrigator on your countertop in your bathroom. This is a plug-in device. It's messy. It needs cleaning. You can add irrigants to it if you want, although I would talk to your functional dentist about that. I'm not big on mouthwash, of course, but in some cases, this may be a good temporary fix 
for post-periodontal surgery care, that kind of thing. So again, these products work. I do recommend them. They're expensive. They look a little awkward on your bathroom countertop. You have to hide the cords. There's tubing to clean. It's a lot like working with a CPAP. Biofilm can build up in the tubing. So these are all things that you should be good at. Follow the instructions. Uh, There are good instructions with each of these devices. Do not ignore those instructions. You do want to clean out the device. It is possible. It's like using a neti pot. You would want to use distilled water, not tap water. Use distilled water in your irrigators. That will uh, allow you to go longer between cleanings and you won't get a buildup of bacteria in the tubing that's called biofilm. It's an injurious biofilm. It can infect you and cause problems. So anyway, I want to keep this short. I think I've covered most of it. I guess the answer to the question is I do recommend this. In many cases, I think most of us should experiment with this if you like it keep it and keep using it, you will find that it will improve your oral health by a large degree, especially if you don't like flossing. I wouldn't stop brushing, but some of these studies inferred that this is all you need is a water pick or an oral irrigator. So I'll end it on that note. Again, I would stick, be able to floss. If you're not a good flosser, use a floss stick because it's hard to travel with an oral irrigator. And then a toothbrush is by far the best thing you can do. You can pick it up anywhere. You don't need toothpaste. It's literally in your back pocket or your purse or in the console in your car. Brushing is universally handy and very convenient. But consider using an oral irrigator. I am now a fan, wasn't before, Hope you are a fan. Let me know what you think after you use an oral irrigator. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time and I'm sorry my voice is beginning to go. So it's a great time to end here. Again, thanks for the question, Robert. So that brings us to the end of another episode of Ask the Dentist. Again, I appreciate your interest in oral health. It's a big aspect of overall health. I I know I keep bringing that up. And I know you know this, but again, just wanted to remind you that's why we're here. We're here to understand how oral health impacts overall health. You cannot be healthy optimally as a organism, as a human, if you haven't addressed your oral health. So if you have any questions like Robert did, go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. These are all in the show notes, by the way. If you want more information on oral irrigators. We have blog posts on askthedentist.com. That's where our store is. If you're interested in which unit you should buy, there is a range of units. There are some as low as $40, $50, and there are some that easily get up to $200. They all essentially do the same thing. Some have some bells and whistles that you may be interested in. And again, if you're looking for a functional dentist that has a hygienist that has similar thoughts on oral irrigation, I would recommend getting a demo. Go find a functional dentist bring in your unit. I would bring in your unit because it's hard to use their unit if they have one. Just plug it in quickly. They will be happy to demonstrate to you. Hold the mirror and then the hygienist, he or she will show you the angle and what the flow should be and how long it should take. Those few minutes, it'll literally be a five-minute procedure, two minutes in the mouth. That alone will save you time and money when it comes to oral health and you'll be way better at it. So again, if you're looking for a functional dentist, go to our directory askthedentist.com slash directory. I really appreciate your interest in oral health and I will see you next time. Hopefully my voice will return then. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. 
Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.